Section 21 of the Counter-Reformation by Adolphus Ward. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 5. The Religious Conflict Merged in the Great War. Part 3. The course of religious affairs under Henry IV in France had reacted upon Switzerland, where Catholics and Protestants were far more evenly balanced. The Catholic propaganda had been active at Lucerne, and the Spanish party formed itself in several of the cantons. But it was in the Catholic district of the Valtellina, over which the Protestant canton of the Grison held sway, that an immediately dangerous complication arose. Henry IV's overtures to the Grison, about the time of his alliance with Venice in 1603, were answered by the construction of a Spanish fortress in the Milanese, hard by their frontier, and the eastern passes of the Alps seemed in question. But when, after the death of Henry IV, French policy changed, the Catholic interest in Switzerland felt reassured, and Spain secured to herself by a brutal massacre the control of the Valtellina in 1620. Nor was it till many years later, in 1635, when Richelieu had resumed the policy of Henry IV, that the Spanish and imperial troops were again ejected from this important valley. But it was in Germany and in the kingdoms ruled by the Austrian branch of the House of Habsburg that the relations between the confessions had long been such as to make the open outbreak of the conflict a mere question of time and opportunity. As the reign of Rudolf II proceeded, his Spanish bigotry continued to make itself felt as unmistakably as his political incompetence. He was unmarried, but his brothers, Archdukes Ernest and Albert, were successively connected with the Spanish government and policy. Of his sisters, one was the mother of Philip III, and another died as a nun in Spain. Of Archduke Matthias alone, after his brother Ernst's death in 1595, Rudolf's probable successor, nothing could be predicted as to his religious or general policy, except that it would be always dictated by his immediate personal interests. Of the sidelines of the House of Austria, the Styrian alone survived in numerous scions, of whom the head was Archduke Ferdinand. He had succeeded his father as a boy of twelve years of age, and to him, owing to the childlessness or celibacy of the princes of the main line, a strong and widespread interest began to attach itself. When in 1596 he took the administration of his archduchy into his own hands, he at once began the experiment which at a later date and on a larger scale he put into practice in Bohemia. All Protestant worship was prohibited, all Protestant schools were closed, all Protestant preachers banished under pain of death, while to the laity was left the choice between conversion and exile, accompanied by harsh conditions as to the disposal of property. The peasantry came in swarms to be converted before soldiers were quartered upon them. But though the pressure applied was assuredly severe, even the Styrian counter-reformation only partially accomplished its work. In 1609, Ferdinand is found replying to a renewed application of the nobility and peasantry of Styria, Carinthia, and Carniola for the free exercise of the Augsburg Confession. 
Rudolf's own attempts at a counter-reformation in his favorite Bohemia began to take practical effect when, in 1602, Jesuit, Capuchin, and Cognate influences prevailed upon him by reviving and extending the operation of an ordinance promulgated in 1581 to deprive Lutherans, Calvinists, and Bohemian brethren alike of a settled religious status. Much persecution and hardship ensued, including the suppression of the Carmel of the Bohemian Brethren at Jungbunslau, while the majority of the Diet resented the acceptance of the Trent Decrees by a Catholic Synod, and their enforcement by the Archbishop of Prague. These feelings were intensified by the proceedings of Rudolf's government in Hungary, where, in the parts of the kingdom unoccupied by the Turks, religious persecution was now added to a contemptuous neglect of the national laws and usages. This policy bore its fruit when Stephen Bochkoy, after invading the country in 1604, was by a numerous diet proclaimed ruler of Hungary and Transylvania in 1605. In order to be able to conclude peace with the Turks, Matthias, as the representative of Rudolf, though anything but trusted by him, listened to Stephen Ilesh Hazi and the other Magyar nobles in 1606, and afterwards confirmed the code of laws in which the concession of free religious worship to both Lutherans and Calvinists had been incorporated, 1608. Outside the Austrian dominions, the best ally of the Roman reaction had long been the incurable disunion among the Protestants. The endeavors of the Elector Palatine Frederick IV from 1594 onwards, had been wrecked upon the refusal of the Saxon government to cooperate with him, and the reaction seemed to be left without a check. This was the time of the first efforts of Duke Maximilian of Bavaria, 1597-1651, afterwards called Max the Catholic, and almost as important a factor in the great Catholic effort of his age as Ferdinand II himself to whom he stood successively in the relations of brother and son-in-law. As the new century opened, the endeavors of the spiritual princes to bring their stray subjects back into the fold became more and more alarming. In the three spiritual electorates and in other sees, such as Paderborn in especial, where Bishop Theodore of Furstenberg in 1604 issued forth completely victorious from a desperate struggle with his nobility and burghers, an era of unrelenting intolerance set in. Yet while beyond the frontiers of the empire, allies were on all sides proffering themselves to the Protestant cause, no Protestant grievance had a chance of being listened to at the Diet and in the Supreme Court of Appeal, Reichskammergericht, all decisions of cases turning on the disputed points in the religious peace of Augsburg, were, as a matter of course, against the Protestants. Secession from the nexus of the empire being regarded as out of the question, the sole expedient left was that of the union in imperio, which had so repeatedly been essayed in vain. Saxony, under Christian II, and under his successor John George I, 1611-56, whose counsels were inspired by the court preacher Hohe van Hoenig, still refused to dally with Calvinism. But in Brandenburg, the latter form of Protestantism was in the ascendant under Joachim Frederick, 1598-1608, to 
and actually established in 1614 under John Sigismund, 1608-19. Brunswick, Hesse-Kassel, Baden, and Anhalt were likewise more or less favorable to a scheme of confederation. Württemberg, too, was gained over, and it was chiefly the quarrel of Henry IV with the Huguenot Duke of Bouillon, which for a time foiled the indefatigable efforts of Prince Christian of Anhalt, the agent-in-chief of the Palatine policy. Thus it was not till the critical year 1606 that an event happened which was to lead to the accomplishment of his design. The Emperor Rudolf's mania had now reached such a pitch, and the impotence of his rule exhibited so shameful a contrast with the severity of his ordinances, especially in matters of religion, that it seemed time to deprive him of at least the reality of monarchical authority. Archduke Matthias hereupon completely identified himself with the Hungarian demands, while in Transylvania, where after a brief interval, Gabriel Batory had succeeded Bochkoy, 1608, the Catholics and the Jesuits in particular had now in their turn to undergo persecution. Meanwhile, regardless of the counsels of either friend or foe, with neither reason to steady nor religion to console him, Rudolf was sinking deeper and deeper, and whatever power remained to him in any of his dominions would clearly soon slip away from his weakly grasp. When the Palatine policy embodied in Christian of Anhalt was straining every nerve to bring about, in cooperation with the foreign enemies of the house, the overthrow of the Austrian Habsburgs and the ruin of the Church of Rome, in so far as these two objects were inseparable from one another, a pretext for action was sure to be found before long. It was furnished by the proceedings at Donauwürth, where a riot consequent upon attempts at a counter-reformation, instigated by the Duke of Bavaria and the Bishop of Augsburg, had led to the city being first placed under the ban of the empire, and then left in the hands of Maximilian, who, with Jesuit aid, now attempted a thorough restoration of Catholicism in the city, 1607. Early in the following year the issue decided itself between Rudolf and Matthias, who, besides being now at the head of the national party in Hungary, had tampered with the loyalty of the Austrian estates, his efforts being seconded by Bishop Klesel of Vienna, a bigot, but as a pupil of the Jesuits, ready to take the side on which most could be done for the glory of God. As in Moravia, too, Matthias found support. An agreement was, with the aid of Philip III of Spain and Pope Paul V, at last, in June of 1608, forced upon Rudolf, whereby he resigned to Matthias, Hungary, Austria, and for his lifetime, Moravia, retaining with the imperial crown Bohemia, where, however, Matthias was to succeed him, and the Catholic Tyrol. This partial victory of Matthias was one of neither creed nor principle, but it gave a tremendous shock to the imperial authority, and added enormously to the self-consciousness of the Protestant estates, by means of whom Matthias had climbed into power. Taken together with the loss suffered by the Protestant cause at Donauwürth, these proceedings could not fail to impress upon Christian of Anhalt the necessity of immediate action. Thus, even before the Habsburg Compact was sealed, 
the Protestant Union was concluded at Ahausen, May 1608. Though the number of its members rapidly grew, Anhalt's proposal to extend it to the hereditary dominions of the House of Austria was thought too daring, and Henry IV delayed to signify his adhesion. Meanwhile, Matthias, though desirous of remaining on amicable terms with Spain and Rome, found himself obliged still further to conciliate Protestant feeling in Austria. While in Hungary, he was king in little more than name. About the same time in Bohemia, Rudolf in his turn was constrained by the Protestant majority, both inside and outside the Diet, to grant the famous Letter of Majesty, July 1609, which, while restricting the right of building churches or schools to certain of the estates, gave to all inhabitants of Bohemia absolute freedom of choice between the Catholic faith and the confession of Augsburg. There was joy at these successes among the opponents of Rome, from Christiana von Halt to Fra Paolo, but the victory was anything but assured, and two days before the signature of the Letter of Majesty at Prague, the Catholic League had been founded at Munich. Yet although the recent death of Duke John William of Jülich Clevesberg had by reason of the local situation of the disputed territories opened a succession question likely at last to set Europe in flames, and although the Union was prepared to take every advantage of the difficulty, the time had passed for a cordial cooperation between Catholic powers such as the Guises had striven to bring about half a century before. Even the Pope hesitated, but Philip III of Spain became protector of the League, which by the summer of 1610 included nearly all the more important Catholic princes of the empire. A few months earlier, February 1610, the high-handed occupation of Jülich by the Archduke Leopold had at last clinched the alliance between the Union and Henry IV, who immediately entered into effective negotiations with Savoy, the United Provinces, and James I of England. The Scandinavian powers were friendly, and when early in May, Henry announced that he found himself under the necessity of marching through the Spanish Netherlands in order to assist his ancient allies in the disputed duchies, he had virtually a confederation of Protestant Europe at his back. His assassination once more postponed what had now seemed the inevitable outbreak of the great religious conflict. While the Jülich dispute dragged its slow length along, the question of the succession to Matthias, who took Rudolf's place on the imperial throne in 1612, after ousting him in 1611 from the Bohemian, became paramount. The choice of Ferdinand of Styria as the future head of the House of Austria implied a policy of combat against the Union as well as against Protestant claims at home. For such a struggle, however, Matthias made no preparation, allowing Bethlen Gabor to seat himself firmly on the Transylvanian throne, 1613-15, and thus establish a firm anchorage for Protestantism on the Bohemian frontier. Yet soon afterwards, permitting the flat violation of the Letter of Majesty in Bohemia itself, 1616, and inducing the Diet at Prague to recognize Ferdinand as his successor. There only remained, when the time should come, the imperial election, at which the opposition of the Palatine policy would have to be overcome. 
the new head of the Palatine House, the young Elector Frederick V, from 1610 was the son-in-law of James I of England, with whom in 1612, as with the United Provinces, 1613-14, the Union had concluded treaties of alliance. But its strength was apparent rather than real, as was shown by the indecisiveness of its action in the duchies and by the hesitation of its members, when the time of its formal expiration drew near, to bind themselves for a longer period than three years. End of section 21